Welcome everyone to the Design 101 podcast. My name is Amanda Gates and I own Gates Interior Design in Nashville, Tennessee. My company specializes in living a stylish and holistic life. My goal with this podcast is to celebrate all the blessings that we receive from a well-designed life. I hope to introduce you to inspirational people, teach you new ways to live better, and empower you to design your best life through intention. There are many ways to achieve balance and harmony in our lives, but it all starts at home. Join me each month to be inspired, transformed, and motivated to live your best life. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to Design 101. I'm your host, Amanda, and today's guest is Julie Kearns from The Shop Junket. I'm really excited to have her on today. Uh, She owns a company in Minneapolis called The Junket Tossed and Found. Um, It's basically a secondhand mercantile shop that has flourished into 3,000 square feet of basically old stuff. And it includes everything from hand tools to knitting needles, art to art supplies. Um, And what's really cool is that her shop anchors this emerging district in Minneapolis that is encouraging people to have enthusiasm around reusing and repurposing goods. Um, And what is really cool is that her greatest mission is to help people connect with really good used stuff. I mean, this gal is after my own heart. Um, You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot on the blog is how we have gotten into this hyper-materialistic, hyper-consumerism level of shopping and going after things. And it's producing a lot of waste and it's ending up in our landfills. And what I love is that she is creating this curiosity and enthusiasm around reusing really good stuff. So I am super excited to have her on today. Oh, and I should mention, I am super excited to also have a fancy new microphone. So I hope that I sound great. Um, I am a little under the weather today, so my voice may sound a little off, but I'm excited to talk with Julie and use my new microphone. So let's get started. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about you, Amanda? Well, I will admit I'm a little under the weather, so I'm going to try not to snort into the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. So, but the cool thing is, is that uh, David bought me a fancy new microphone, which I'm excited about. I've had the, I launched the podcast in 2011 And I bought just a, I can't even remember what it was, but it was just like a headset microphone. And I remember it was like 50 bucks. I was like, oh my God, this is like stupid. I'm buying this contraption that's $50 and I'm probably going to do two podcasts and call it a day. (laughs) And here I am six years later, I'm still using the crappy ass microphone that I bought that I have more than and like the earphones were busting off and like the microphone was like I had to hold it up and I'm like this is kind of silly right (laughs) yeah so now I sound fancy except for the fact that I have a cold so my voice is off and I was just like well we'll we'll take the new microphone as a win for today perfect you know if there's if there's something to be found that's good that's 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 it yeah and I and and my my good is that I'm sitting next to a six pound Chihuahua who's just gonna snuggle while we chat. So um, good day to do that. Good to, exactly, that's what I figure. So 
Oh my gosh. Awesome. Well, are you ready to get started? I am ready to get started. Yeah, let's have some fun. Hey, hey, everyone. So I'm super excited. I've got Julie Kearns on the show today from the Shop Junket. Hello, hello, Julie. Well, hello, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. We've got um, a huge sustainability mission. We've talked about it for years on my blog, um, my team and I. It's What's really great is that, um, you know, it's been a huge thing in my life for at least the last six years or so. But what I love is that uh, the girls that work for me, like, it's amazing how you don't realize how you're setting an example until you see others kind of following in your footsteps and like they're doing little things too, which I love. Um, But I think what's really interesting is that this, I'm starting to see a really big movement where people are really starting to take sustainability seriously, which I love. Um, So when I found you, I was like, oh my goodness, this gal is a girl after my own heart. Like she gets it and you're advanced, you know, compared to most people who are dipping their toe into it. So um, give us a little bit of background about who Julie is and how you landed in this sustainable world. Oh, goodness. All right. Um, little bit of background. I, so I, again, as you've mentioned, I, um, I own a shop in South Minneapolis. So we're up, um, in the, you know, North central part of this, um, this country of ours. Um, my interest in sustainability you know, it wasn't necessarily something about sustainability for, for most of the time that I've been involved. I mean, my earliest memory of reuse, which is what my shop is about and what I am focused on as a solution to sustainability matters. Um, my earliest memory is my mother actually fishing a, um, a waffle maker out of a dumpster when I was about four years old. Um, and, and we actually used that <laughs> through, through my growing up experience. But more recently, um, having, having grown up buying secondhand clothing and all those other things. Um, and then having not really thought about that a whole lot as an adult, um, until I had a, a life crisis. Um, it, it really wasn't on my radar much, but the life crisis, um, pushed me into a place where I couldn't afford to buy, um, new clothing and I needed it because I'd lost 50 pounds after my first daughter was born and my marriage ended both within the course of about, um, three months. So, um, what was what was crisis and what sent me back to the thrift shops actually became opportunity as I started to consign clothes, um, you know, consign my old clothes to be able to afford new clothes and be able to afford other crises in my life. Um, and as I began to heal and began to emerge and realized that I was, you know, now I was selling some of these tiny clothes that um, these t- these tiny clothes that had, um, you know, I'd spent very little on and they were turning margin. Um, the wheels started to turn, and so my initial that that and that was the, the kind of the baby start of of what has since turned into my shop. Um, but as I proceeded down that path, I was becoming increasingly aware of one how much stuff was being thrown away as I was going through and trying to find things that I could resell or that I could wear or what have you. Um, and then I was also aware of of how much margin there was to be made, but but also how much really good stuff was getting thrown away. Um, and that's what uh, that's what informed initial kind of informed my emphasis initially. Um, since that time, having set a, created a mission to to make it easier for people to have access to this good use stuff, um, I've gotten a lot more informed about 
what these what all of this stuff is doing to our water supply and to our environmental issues with respect to carbon um, and and climate change and all those sorts of things. I don't know, Amanda, that I feel like I may have not exactly answered what you're looking at, but hopefully that gives you a kind of a broad brush as to to where I've come from and why I'm paying attention. Well, I I read a little bit on your website. I didn't want to dive too deep because I wanted to come to you today like, you know, a stupid consumer asking you, you know, questions. Um, but oh God. what yep. I found, I find that if I do too much research, then I, I don't, you know, I, I want to like be able to come at you with, you know, more, I don't know, questions that are more valid. But what I found in interesting was that your crisis was so similar to mine. So yeah. I grew up, um, all we did was shop at secondhand stores. In fact, um, the bit, there was a big place when I lived in LA when I was young called Leroy's. It was massive. And as a child, my mom would take me there and it was a big deal. Like to me, I didn't know that it was secondhand. I didn't know that, you know, that wasn't the cool thing. It's just that we went there every Saturday and um, that's how I grew up. We grew up on secondhand things. All of our furniture was secondhand things. And it was the same situation for my mom. She had gone through a divorce in the 70s. My dad had left her for another woman. And so she was a single mom in the 70s trying to raise me. And so it was based on that. So then fast forward, you know, here I, as I got older, I was like, oh, this is so uncool and like, you know, hand-me-down stuff and like all the other kids have new things, right? Right. But then... Lo and behold, in 2010, guess where I'm at? I'm faced with a divorce and yep. going through a traumatic situation. And yep. I, too, landed back at sustainability. I started making all my own cleaners. I became a vegetarian. Um, I was buying secondhand clothes. And I found that I was really getting a rid of a lot of the things that I had only because I didn't want to hang on to that energy and that life. Like, I felt like it was my past life. And yep. so um, then I started falling in love with, I had already been using vintage furniture in my projects as, as an interior designer because I loved it. And I it's so much better made than the shit that's made today. You got it. But I really didn't start having a love affair with it until that traumatic event. And then when I started, like you, doing more research and finding out what was ending up in our landfills and how this hyper-materialistic world and this hyper-consumerism is really harming our planet, I was like, yep. oh my God, I got to do something. I don't know what that is, but yep. I've got to do something. And for the folks that are listening today, I'm, I'm going to ask Julie some questions on how you can you know, get involved and maybe start because it's not... It's not an all or nothing game. And I feel like sometimes people get scared when they hear sustainability and they're like, oh, it's not for me. It's too big. It's too scary. I'm not a, I'm not a tree hugging hippie. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I, I always try to say to people, like when I really came to this realization, I didn't do all of these things all at once. I literally, you know, it was one thing at a time. It's only now that I can say that I do all of these things. But it took me, you know, seven years to get here. I didn't do it all at once. Yep. So, but it's it's a great realization just to have the awareness of what is going on so that you have a greater understanding of your habits and how you are influencing the things that are going on in our world. 
So what I want to know from you is, you know, you, you haven't always been in this sustainable practice. You kind of came by it or came through it with tragedy. Um, how do you feel that this, w- one thing that I hate is that like my mom still has all of her Tupperware from the 70s. Most of her appliances are from the 60s and 70s. And man, those things are kicking ass, right? Like they still work. Yeah. Yeah. David's mom, all of her appliances, like her Pitzel maker, they're Italian, is from the 40s. And she refuses to buy a new one because the majority of the parts are plastic. And she said, there is not one that's out there that will make them like this one. And one thing that I really have a problem with today that I think leads to consumerism is that the stuff that's made today does not last. Like, you know, we got a coffee maker and it wasn't even a year old and it broke. And then they sent us a new one and that one didn't even work. And it's like, and then uh, a week later, and I may have told you this when we were talking before, but then my toaster broke and it was only two years old. And I'm like, what happened is like you can go into an antique shop right now and pick up an old appliance and that sucker will fire up no problem that's true so i see that there's this growing trend of the these mass-produced items that are poorly made break quickly but yet they still have a high cost and i feel like consumers have just really adapted to this way of life and it's just the way that it is rather and it's becoming harder to you know hang on to things because if they break then you can't use them but how can we get away from this model and and is it is the answer to just really hunt for those things that are still made and and older things that still work and and stop because i feel like the the answer or the solution is just stop buying the crap and go back to the old stuff yeah you know it's funny i i do think that there's a certain amount of um of just stopping and looking around at kind of the crazy that's happening around us um, when it comes to consumer culture and when it comes to what we are being marketed um, or what is being marketed at us and toward us. Um, What you're describing is something called um, obsolescence or um, designed obsolescence where companies are actually creating things that will not continue to exist either because they're investing in parts that are so cheap for, to drive down their costs or so that you will need to turn around and become a consumer again and buy another one. Um, so, so in, you know, it's basically, it's, it's capitalism at its, at its, you know, really worst. (laughs) (laughs) And And it's like, it's just really, it's, it's really unpleasant. And, and it's gotten to the point where, yeah, if you, if you buy from the, the, you know, buy from most businesses, you know, most new, you know, most new products, it's, it's going to break. And, you know, for me, anything that's made out of plastic is immediately suspect, no matter how, you know, no matter how old it is, quite honestly. But, um, I don't know, my mom's Tupperware is pretty freaking amazing. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, yeah, yeah, that Tupperware man. Um, I, I, I do I do make the occasional exception at my shop to include Tupperware. I will I will admit that. Whereas we don't do much plastic, um, but um, I don't know. The, bring me back here because you're going to find with me that I will go off on a riff and lose and absolutely lose. Track. <laughs> <We're>, um, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, and I understand what you're saying. It is suspect if it does have plastic parts, and that's why um, David's mom 
refuses to get rid of her Patel maker because it is 100% metal parts. Correct. Yep. So I guess what, so back to your question about, you know, what do we do or how do we do it? I think it's really pay attention and a couple opportunities. One is to think about what it is that we need to achieve and to not resort to going and buying something. Right. I mean, like if I need to, you know, clean my lettuce leaves. I don't need a salad spinner. I need to find out a way to clean my lettuce leaves that works for me. Right. If I, you know, so, I mean, there are so many gadgets and doodads and things like that, that we have allowed um, to clutter our world. Whereas perhaps what we need is a nice sharp knife and a, and a, you know, and something that we can use to sharpen it. Um, and to just slow down and say no to the things that do not serve us. Um, but um, but I by all means when I'm looking for for quality I'm I'm personally dialing back to things that were made with wooden handles and and you know and if I'm going to get something now it's looking for for high quality construction high quality joinery um, it probably will mean spending a fair amount more if it's something I'm going to purchase new avoid made in China Re- yes and but and, but that's actually really hard to do these days oh my god it's impossible yeah. I mean, that's because so much is made in China or it's made in India or it's made in some other cheapest possible third world country that X, Y and Z. So I think it's I think part of it is that is that if you're if you're paying attention and if you're and if you're really thinking about what you're allowing into your life and you're thinking about where it's coming from, it becomes really uncomfortable, like like almost almost like in your gut, it becomes uncomfortable to bring, you know, to allow these things into your life because they've been made so cheaply because they've paid, you know, somebody else so little to do it. And because they've used materials that, you know, are, you know, are causing harm. It's, there's just this, there's, when, when you talk about kind of like wanting to do things differently, there's a certain amount of discomfort that, that necessarily comes from considering the impact of the things you have been doing when you haven't been aware. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, pretty much everything you just said is literally exactly what I've written in my book. Like, you know, just stopping to slow down and quit adding the clutter because like you said, you don't necessarily need a salad spinner. And like, you know, I always think back to my grandparents who lived through the depression and how they would reuse, my grandfather would reuse tea bags. Like, I mean, he's so cheap, but that was the era that they lived through and they would do so much more with less. And like my grandmother would never throw out sheets. If if it was time to throw them out, she would make curtains out of them. Like they reused and repurposed everything. Yeah. Um, Nothing would go uh, to Goodwill or or get thrown away. Like nothing. They would reuse everything. And I think what, what I've seen from an interior design standpoint is that um, this DIY generation that has been basically bred to believe that, you know, a fully furnished, fully decorated home is the correct home is making them run out to places like TJ Maxx and Marshalls and these really cheap places where cheap stuff is manufactured over in China. And you know that it's made overseas because it smells because it's off gassing. Um, but I think what is sad from an interior design standpoint is that people are really losing the ability. And I just wrote a blog post about this, about, um, how to truly add luxury to your home. People don't even know what quality is anymore. You know, they, their, their way to, uh, basically compare something is via price. They don't, they don't realize that they're not comparing apples to apples. Bottom line is, well, this one's cheaper. 
And that's how we've been bred to believe that it's better if it's cheaper. And so from an interior design standpoint, when I go in to do a home, I don't want to necessarily, you know, if they want to do it over like a six month period of time, that's great. But I want to curate. I want to have things custom made here in America. I want to make it custom and unique to them and and items that are, you know, only they have and nobody else has. And I want to use sustainable practices. and, And that does cost more, you know, especially if it's domestically made. But then you don't have to worry about off gassing and formaldehydes, you know, being in your air quality inside your home because you never open your windows so but the thing is is that when somebody is is a a cheap shopper or they shop at you know like home goods and places like that all they say is well the chair at home goods is 199 dollars and the chair that you're showing me is 600 dollars so I'm going to go with, but the thing is is that you know since I'm a professional I've been doing this for 20 years I can spot it from a mile away because I know what quality looks like, but I, I'm seeing this growing trend where people don't even know what quality is because they've gotten so accustomed to the crap that they have become comfortable with the crap. Yes. Yep. I would say that probably where I see that trend the most severely is in clothing. Yes. Fast fashion. Fast fashion. And, um, and where, where the materials are so cheap and the, and the, joinery the the seams are so poorly made that that things are unraveling after two or three wears things are you know the materials are pilling you know they are being thrown away and and quite honestly consumers are being sold a line of bs when you're you're taught to feel good about donating that stuff so poor people can wear them so that you can go out and buy more i mean that's part of the problem um with that particular end of the industry but um yeah, there's a, cheap is not the answer, and right now ch- clothing in particular is way cheaper than it th- now, like in real dollars, than it was even you know 30 years ago. Well, um, and I did research for the book on that because I have an entire chapter devoted to fast fashion and capsule wardrobes and that whole thing. And what I found so interesting is that you're right; people are led to believe that they need to be you know purchasing the hottest, greatest, newest thing, and that you know it's this hyper culture of there's now four seasons in a year, sometimes more to be on trend and, you know, to be, um, hot and new. And so, um, I see it now where like a couple years ago, I had an award ceremony that I wanted to go to and I didn't have a dress. And so I went to Nordstrom's and $150 dress wasn't even lined. There's no lining. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? It's 100% polyester, which is shit. And the seams are poorly done. It's not lined. And it's $150. Like, my mom could make that same dress in beautiful cotton fabric. And I guarantee you it would be much less than that. But there's, you know, and, but people don't know that. They don't realize that that's not good quality. Yep. Yep. And I was really surprised that when I was doing research that, like, at the turn of the century, a woman would have a dress that could cost as much as $600, which we all know back in the 1900s was very expensive. (laughs) But it would be something that they would have made, and it would be something that they would wear again and again and again until their next dress was made. And then all the way up until the 50s, 93% of all women could sew. Correct. And they had nine dresses. that And that was considered a lot. Yeah. Now we're buying homes 
with these enormous closets which are encouraging us to buy more and we don't need it because half of us don't even wear what 20 percent is i think that the average of what they wear yeah so you're wasting money you're creating clutter you're clogging up your thoughts you have no clarity or focus i actually have a blog post called is your closet making you fat because from a feng shui standpoint if there's no room in your closet then how can it breathe yeah exactly so and I, I think what's interesting is I was doing some research on H&M and Zaffle and a lot of these cheap companies and their solution to saying that they're green is that they have changed light bulbs in their factories and they are instead of doing paper coupons they're doing phone coupons but that's not the solution to the textile waste Correct. Because if it's only being worn two or three times and then given to goodwill because you're tired of it or it's fallen apart, now it's just in a, either a landfill where it's not even biodegradable. It just sits there and off gases for centuries Correct. or it ends up in Africa. They have so many clothes now from the U.S. They can't even wear them all. No. Oh, they get they get they get left in in heaps in the middle of I mean, like in the middle of marketplaces and in the middle of. Fields. I mean, it literally, it's it, these things that are made out of, yeah, polyester are, I think the thing that needs to get through and that doesn't seem to be getting through is that you're not doing anyone any favors when you cast something off in order to justify new consumption, right? Or, or when you feel good about getting rid of something in order to justify continuing to make purchases of new, new products. And I, um, the there are some I mean there there are some really interesting statistics but I think I mean greenwashing I mean when you talk about about some of these companies talking about how green they are because they're changing out their light bulbs or they're using electronic coupons um, that's not genuine that's that is that's that's called greenwashing that's like claiming that you're environmental without actually putting you know putting your energy where it matters right um, and I think that. That a, a that real action would look um, would basically look like companies saying, you know what, I'm committed to this. I'm going to understand what the life cycle, like the actual life cycle and the implications of that life cycle, mean for my product. I think um, Levi Strauss is a good example of a company that has actually done that work. Um, they, you know, they have they have taken a pair of their 501s and managed it from the very beginning of its life cycle so from starting to from you know basically cotton seed or starting to grow cotton all the way through to disposal um and and once they've done that and and once they provided data they supply data and you can actually see what that impact is you as a consumer have a much easier time of making a, a decision about whether or not it makes sense to to participate in you know in the consumption of that item um and and to levi's credit they are a good actor as far as that goes they're trying but to challenge levi's further you know it takes more than 2900 liters of water to bring a single pair of levi's 501 jeans to the sales floor 2900 one single pair 2900 liters that's more than that's more than 750 gallons of water just to put a pair of denim jeans on the sales floor and this is from a company that's doing something about it. They're actually trying to reduce their water. They're actually reporting on it. They're actually doing some of this work. And and 
I just can't help but think that if we as consumers had that sort of information and we understood that the implications of that are impacting water quality, are impacting the fact that people don't have enough to drink. I mean, we're, we're facing those issues. I mean, I live in Minnesota and next door to me, people are putting their lives on the line, you know, to protect the Missouri River from a pipeline. I mean, like this stuff is, have, there are very real things happening right now related to water scarcity. And yet we're, we're not realizing that every time we go and buy a brand new pair of jeans, we're contributing to that. Right. And, yeah. and if, if we knew differently, we could contribute differently. Um, so I, you know, and, and I guess the same thing goes with, um, the same thing goes with carbon impact. I think, I think it can be, and this kind of ties back to some of your earlier questions about what can we do in small ways in our daily lives to, to simplify and to, and to have an impact on the kind of world we want. Um, and, and that really comes down to recognizing that, that yes, driving our cars all over the place, um, is doing a lot of damage, right? But a lot of us don't have lives where we can change that. So many of us have jobs that we need to get to, right? We don't live near public transit. We, you know, we have a house in the suburbs or we have, you know, we have a home somewhere and it's out of alignment with the rest of our lives. And we're pretty constrained by that, to be honest. Would you agree? I mean, I know that you live at home or you work at home and you don't have to worry about it. And I actually, I work two blocks from, you know, my my shop is two blocks from my home. But I think I I would, I would venture that, that what you have arranged for yourself Amanda, and what I've arranged for myself in terms of having a two-block commute has been the result of getting clear on what matters to you and what matters to me and taking steps over time, in your case, over six years, actually in my case, over close to eight, to make small adjustments that allow us to have lives that are more in alignment with our values when it comes to sustainability. Yeah, and I would say that I'm headed towards the extreme. Um, I did uh, an experiment uh, when David and I first moved in together. I had a car and Mm -hmm. I was starting to go through my divorce. And so um, for those who most of everybody that's listening knows my story, but I sold off every single thing that I owned down to my silverware to pay for my expensive divorce. And that included my car. And Mm -hmm. so the plan was, is that once I got the attorney fees paid down and kind of got my shit together, um, I was going to buy a new car. And so I sold it in 2011. And the plan was, is that I was going to go six months to a year to just see, you know, get my stuff together and see where I landed at, at, at a specific time period. Well, the year went by and nothing really changed. So I was like, okay, well, I'll extend it to 18 months to 24 months. Nothing really changed. So what I have found is that when David and I moved, we decided to buy a house and it was very intentional. We bought, we do not live in downtown Nashville. We do live in a suburb, but we made sure that we purchased a home within that city's suburb. So we are very close to the grocery store. We are very close to uh, places that we go so that if I need to walk, I can, which I do a lot. But also what I have found is that I take Uber. So I use Uber a lot and I have found that it is cheaper to do that. And it has allowed me to stay, you know, I'm not having to pay for a car outright or make payments, not pay insurance, uh, car maintenance and fuel and all of that. 
and yep. it also keeps my garage from being cluttered and this is not for everyone i know that i know that this yep. is not so you know i have gone to if i have client appointments i have shown up in an uber i don't give a shit because yep. i know <laughs> that <laughs> you know yes. i i think that yes. sometimes people's egos really get in the way and um to me but people know that people know that about me that um I take sustainability seriously and that um, it's important to me. And when I looked at the option of, you know, I could spend 30 grand on a new car that I could really get around, or I could take 30 grand and put it into my retirement fund so that I can retire earlier and do more philanthropic things. Ding, ding, ding. That's what I want to do. <laughs> yes. yes. So, well, and um, I, think, I, I think that that really actually, when you talk about, about well it comes down to knowing what it is that you want right and getting comfortable and clear with what it is that you want yeah just really getting yeah like you said just getting really clear with what your um mission is and and what your values are and and stopping long enough to really understand that i think we're so buried in our stuff and our our hectic you know busy hyper busy schedules that we don't stop long enough to really look around and, and uh, really define what it is that we truly do need. And so that's kind of where I've been over the last six years is just decluttering, 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 and, you know, just getting down to the basics and really simplifying my life and simplifying, you know, society tells me that um, I need to have a car, but do I really need to have a car? No, I really don't. I mean, we were very intentional about where we purchased our home so that I was close to everything. And, and you know, we do have a car. It's not like I, I don't have a car. We have a car that we share. And it's been perfectly acceptable. And I know that that's not for everyone. And that's perfectly okay. But there are other things that you could be doing that you may not be doing that could have a huge impact. Absolutely. Well, and I think a lot of times we just don't know what that impact would be impact would be right we don't have the information we need to to do it would you agree with that I would and so that's some of the things that I try to do on my blog like one great example that I have is I use reusable produce bags talk yeah. about something that is easy yep. so I bought my mom my mother-in-law um, I bought friends these produce bags and I figured out that on average when somebody goes to the grocery store they use 10 plastic produce bags. Yeah. So if you're going to the grocery store once a week on average you're using 30 to 40 plastic bags that you immediately throw in the trash. So if you're doing that and you're purchasing um, hopefully you're purchasing that much fruit and vegetables. Right. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll be hopeful in that. But if you're doing that, you're averaging somewhere between 400 and 500 bags, plastic yeah. bags that are going in the trash every year. So uh, yeah. over the course of say five years, that's what, 23, 2,400 bags. So if I got four of my friends or family members, that's close to 10,000 bags that I have not allowed to go into landfills don't tell me that's not an impact that's huge you got it no huge. you absolutely got it and i think and that's where i you just landed on one of the biggest pieces and that that is reuse right yeah Explain the useful life of something when the only purpose that a plastic bag has is to help you get one load of you know one load of apples or one you know two apples home you know without touching the grapes i mean like 
when that's the only purpose of that bag, that that's that's not short life cycle. Short life cycle, exactly. Whereas when you when you choose something that is made of quality and can be used for multiple purposes, you know, the produce, but also for you know other things. But over the course of time, that has significant impact, and that and focusing on reuse and allowing things to continue to be useful, like your grandparents did, um, is actually one of the easiest, best ways that you can have an impact. Yeah, and I mean, talk about something that's so small. And I think that's another point is that people don't slow down enough to really care for their things anymore. Like I, the level of honor and respect that my grandparents show for their things, their stuff, they mend things, they care for things, they wash things, you know, after they use them, they put them back in a beautiful way. Like they really cared for their things. And so it was funny, I went to the store the other day and I used my produce bags and the gal was like, oh, these are amazing. They look great. Did you just get them? And I said, no, I've had them for four years. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, my gosh, they look great. I'm like, I take care of them and I wash them regularly, but I care for them. Yeah. And um, she was like, oh, that's so lovely. She's like, I, I didn't realize, that, you know, that these would last that long. And I said, that's the point. If you care for them, they will. <laughs> yeah, care and care makes all the difference, right? I mean... Yeah, just really showing, you know, respect for an item. And like the other day I saw, um, I want to say that it was in Accessories Magazine. It's a fashion magazine. But um, I saw the neatest thing where this gal um, had gone to a thrift store and bought a bunch of jeans that had holes in them. And the reason they got donated was because they had holes in them. And so she took them and she got these beautiful tights that had like sparkles on them and designs on them and she wore them underneath so it created this really cool layered effect and I thought what a great way to encourage people to buy you know and jeans my goodness like most of the jeans I have are 10 plus years old yep exactly. suckers are gonna last so you know take care of them and make them last and um, don't get rid of them just because they're out of style or because you're being told they're out of style. Like, who gives a shit? Like, put them yeah. suckers on and dress them up in your own style. And that's the other thing is I think everybody has become so homogenous. Yeah. I mean, I see it in interior design and I'm seeing it with clothing. Like, add some funk to it. Put your own spin on it. Like, who cares if they're mom jeans or there's something that is derogatory because, you know, so-and-so says so. Like, put on them mom jeans and freaking rock them. Yeah, and you know what? And be comfortable like be comfortable like that at the end of the day <laughs> wear things that you know that that feel good on your body and don't worry about the brain piece of it because what other people you know is it is it dr seuss that says you know those who mind don't matter and those who matter you know, don't mind <laughs> yeah i mean like it i mean that's that's, you know, I, I think, I think when it gets back to it, when you talk about, you know, when you talk, just talk about this as, as life, it's, you know, it's, it's showing, it's literally showing love to the things in your life and showing gratitude to the things that, that are of service to you, right? Rather than discarding them. Because I think part of, part of the challenge is that, that, that attitude that we assign to the things in our life is, it you know, it gets really way too easy to assign that to, to humans and people and others in our lives as well. Um, and I think it's very much a spiritual matter where we have an opportunity to, um, to embrace and engage and respect and care and love, um, regardless. Right. And, and that's an attitude and that's a choice. 
Um, yeah, I agree completely. I, and I talk about that in the book. I talk about when you have things that you truly adore and honor and respect, um, you know, it, it leads to a fulfilled life. If it's yeah. just a bunch of things that you're tossing around and don't care for and don't give a shit about, that leads to a lackluster life. Yeah. Well, and it, and it becomes an, it becomes annoyance, right? It becomes, it becomes in the way it interferes. It, it, it leads you to things that, that don't, that don't fit as well. So and right? bad be yeah. more bad behavior. Exactly. Yep. So I, yeah, so it, I don't know, but it, it, I think sometimes it takes some soul searching to, to get to some of these places. And I think in your case and in my case, having experienced pretty profound loss and things that shook our worldviews, um, led to some of that or, or created the space for that to happen. Um, but yeah, I, and I'm not even quite sure where I was going with that other than to just agree with so much of what, um, of what you've had to share. Well, um, and I think if you do have that spiritual connection, um, I mean, that's just good feng shui. I mean, let's just call it what it is. When you have a connection with your things and you truly adore them and they light you up, you know, I talk about this all the time. Like I'll put stuff up on Instagram, but like I have a, um, a picture that's named Fred that I found at a thrift store that I freaking love. And I've got Henry the piggy bank that, you know, some dude somewhere made it's, he's signed on the bottom, but it's a handmade piggy bank. That's, you know, doesn't, there's no other one like it. Um, but every time I walk by, uh, Henry or every time I put flowers in Fred, like, and I have every object in my house is named, but like when I use those items or walk by them, like they lift m my spirits. They make me feel awesome. And yeah. a lot of the, like I try to explain this to clients when they don't really understand quality or have an appreciation for their things. They're just trying to fill what I call stuff, stuff, stuff. They're just trying to fill their house with stuff, stuff to make it look decorated. And I try to explain to them when you have this level of respect for your things and they lift you up and they just, you know, you adore them that you have a different connection to your home and it's not fair to your home to just fill her with a bunch of crap, like care for your things and show your home respect because she's a member of the family. She's, you know, essentially a third skin and some yeah. people get that and some people don't, but you know, everybody wants to hurry and, and rush out and do everything all at once. And there's a sense of urgency. And it's like, whatever happened to this idea of curation? Like, let's build a beautiful home. And let's, let's, let's really put some thought and care into this so that when you come home, you're completely rejuvenated. And like your space and your home just lights you up because you're surrounded by the things that have meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think making meaning is, is really a key point here too, right? And, and intention and, and identifying purpose, right? And so if the things that you place around you have purpose and intention and have meaning, that creates a really strong foundation. Um, and, a, and, a, and, and I take it in, in my world where everything is, you know, has had a past life, it's also about stories and integrity and history, right? Mm, and, yeah. And, um, and, acknowledging and honoring the things about these these belongings that may be imperfect um that may not be you know may not be you know production line pretty but that's because they've been appreciated and enjoyed perhaps yes. by some yes and 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 or because they're hand hewn or 
hand nailed or, you know, whether, you know, or bespoke or any of these things. And the reason that I think that that matters so much is that I think we as people spend a lot of time trying to appear perfect, right? Mm. Um, and trying to be perceived as perfect. And, and I think that when we can appreciate and value things that have meaning and are imperfect and, and might even be more appreciated because of that imperfection or that quirk, I think we find it easier to appreciate that in ourselves and it creates room for, oh, I apologize. I just had an alarm go off. That is not what I wanted. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, time for my health insurance. Um, and so, um, okay, we got that. Um, but I, I, I just think that, that, you know, everything has energy, right? And when you, I, and I don't know as much about feng shui as you do, but I do know that when it comes to, you know, quantum physics and when it comes to, you know, literally you being energy and atoms and I being energy and atoms and the things that are in our lives being comprised of, you know, these molecular particles, that, that matters. And, and what we, and, and what we, what we do with that matters. And, um, and now I'm going off on a, you know, another, (laughs) but, but, but like, I think it, I think it comes back to us. Right. I think, and I think that what we put into it and what we offer and give to it is what, you know, and, and that in terms of care and, and appreciation is a, is a, a, a matter of gratitude that, that we get back. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I always tell people you need to have an attitude of gratitude. And I tell my clients all the time, like, you need to start having a friendship with imperfection. Imperfection is beautiful. Um, I have a vintage dresser that is in my um, bedroom that is an original Ethan Allen piece from the late 50s. It takes six guys to lift it, and it's only a 72-inch dresser. (laughs) But... The gentleman that owned it before me was a country music star, and he was moving to L.A., and his dog had chewed on one of the legs. And so he's like, I'll totally knock off another $100 because he chewed on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Mm -hmm." And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is such a score. And, like, I adore, and one of the drawers has scratch marks on it, also from the dog. But I love that. I love that it has imperfection on it to me that gives it character to me it gives it and shows that it has been loved on and the sheer fact that the damn thing is you know 60 years old i mean it has you know more than accomplished its its weight in gold like that has proven to me that it's a good quality piece yep exactly and it'll be around for another 60 or 80 or 120 because it was well made yeah and and i love um i love quality goods like that and i love when things are made well and I love it when I have something made domestically that is you know like you said bespoke or or custom made for a client that is you know by a true craftsman um, that is skilled in what they do and they put that love and that care and that you know that a local craftsman has so much more appreciation because they're putting their blood sweat and tears into it and they're they're making that piece to put in your home that your family and you are going to enjoy like I guarantee you the mass-produced crap that's being, you know, fed through a factory in China, they don't give two shits about that. They're, it's all about money. No, of course. I mean, and that's, and that's where, yeah, and that's where all of this boils down to is, is I believe that the energy you put into something or the energy that gets put into something is the energy that comes out of it. So Absolutely. When you, 
and that kind of goes back to where I went off on my tangent. When, when you, when you recognize that and invest in that, not just with money, but with intention, um, that comes back. Without, without a doubt. I mean, you can feel that you can, you can feel when that love and appreciation and care has gone into it. And, and I truly believe that you, not that monetary cost has, you know, any value because I have found some particularly great vintage pieces that, you know, I stole, but, um, there are definitely some custom pieces that I have made or had made for clients, um, that I have done to them uh, from a feng shui standpoint that the client doesn't even know that I've done. I've just added that extra love and care, but really personalized an item um, or had a craftsman do particular type stitches or, you know, just really put the, the attention to detail. And some people understand that and, uh, and can really appreciate it because they can spot it. But unfortunately, a lot of people can't spot that anymore. But man, when you see it, you, you can you really notice it. And you can feel it. It's it's palpable because you can see, you know. And I, what I love, what's so delightful is that I recently had a sofa made for a client, and it was expensive. It was you know close to five thousand dollars. That's expensive for a sofa, but it was custom made uh, for this client to fit in a very specific room. We had beautiful fabric put on it, but we had baseball stitching done to it, and she had never seen that before. And I ran into her um, a couple of weeks ago at the grocery store and she ran over to me and she's like, oh my God, I am so delighted. I had a dinner party the other day and she said, everybody would not stop talking about the stitching on my sofa. (laughs) (laughs) And so that matters. You know, if it had just been a cheap sofa that she had gotten from rooms to go, you know, it wouldn't sit right. It would be wonky. The arms would be made of cardboard. It'd be off gassing in her house and nobody give two shits about the stitching. Right. Right. Yep. The details matter. Does matter. Absolutely. And so she was so excited that everybody noticed that small, minute detail. And now... She's even more excited about the piece. She doesn't even care about the price because she's so excited about how special this piece is. And so now when she goes in there, it, every time her family uses it or every time she entertains, it just elevates her even more. I love that. I love that, that she's having that experience with yes. an item. Yep. Yep. It's a relationship, right? And, and it, and, um, it, I mean, so yes, experience. And then also relationship where she is emotionally invested in, in being a, a steward and for that piece, right? And in um, now, now that because she because there was care invested in bringing it in, there's care invested in continuing to enjoy it um, and in continuing to share it too. It sounds like so, which is yeah. Cool. And I think what I love is that she was looking at a local retail shop here, and she was going to buy a sofa from them, and it wasn't as expensive. I think it was like thirty five hundred, or you know, it was still expensive, but not as expensive. And I, I think what I love so much is just the sheer appreciation that she now understands the difference. And she yeah. also appreciates the fact that it wasn't made in China, that it was made here in the States and three, three craftsmen. And she got to meet them. She got to meet the makers of her sofa and they all three signed it. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Beautiful. That's huge too. Yeah. Well, and because it's, because I think when, when we talk about support, like supporting local business and we, when we talk about, you know, doing that it's because it's not tra- it's about making it something that's not transactional right it's about investing in relationships totally. um, and establishing relationships with the people and so and when you have a relationship with somebody it's not about getting it for the cheapest amount of money 
Yeah, I love that. So I want to ask you, um, I feel kind of like you and I are, you know, soul sisters here because we understand our language. But for folks who... For folks who may be listening today and they're like so out of their realm and have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. Um, first and foremost, if that's true, go to Julie's website. I'll have her mention that here in a minute or um, and I'll also have it in the show notes. But you can also go to my website. I have tons and tons of articles about how you can ease into sustainability. But for those who are listening who are maybe you know, haven't dipped their toe or are maybe ready to dip their toe. What are three to five things that you could suggest that you feel would have a big impact as something that they can maybe start for the, you know, um, the coming year? Oh, great. Okay. So, um, I would say one thing, and this is a really easy one. Um, and this is, um, is like when you're shopping on Amazon or when you're shopping on eBay, there is a condition, um, that like a searchable like a box that you can click that says condition and you can either choose new or used and a lot of times those used items are factory seconds or what have you but they're but they basically are used and and you know and and what that means is that you're supporting someone who's selling something that isn't perfect and encouraging that to happen so if if you hadn't known that you could do that that's one um i think that um this is going to sound a little bit silly, but respect the small stuff. Pay attention to it. Paper clips, a single new paper clip um, requires, um, you know, it basically when it's made, and, and Amanda, you talk about off-gassing, you know, it, it is made by an industrial process. It's steel. It gets processed. Um, and you could take a, an existing secondhand, you know, a paper clip that's already in, in existence and fly it between New York and L.A. round trip two times for less, for less, um, basically less greenhouse gas emissions than making a new one. So the small stuff really adds up. So just pay, pay attention to it in your daily life. Um, I'm a huge proponent of reuse. I mean, when I talked to you earlier about, um, the Levi Strauss creating, you know, 2,900, um, 2,900, requiring 2,900 liters of water just to make those jeans. Um, I think you can actually, if you're uncomfortable with the idea of, of reuse because it doesn't feel like something that you would do or feel clean or what have you. Cause sometimes people have kind of struggle with that. I think you can actually clutch or, you know, hang on to just the knowledge that you're making the, a really wise moral choice when it comes to being smart about, about how people are treated and being um, smart about um, limited environmental resources and things like that. So, um, and it doesn't mean you have to do it for everything. And I know that it's not easy to find a lot of those things, but when you can, or when it makes sense, I'd say go ahead and do it and celebrate it. Um, I, and I think those are probably my three best, Amanda, um, and the three simplest. Um, and then of course, obviously to your point with bags, you know, reusable grocery bags, reusable shopping bags. Um, yeah, I mean, talk about it's it's such a huge impact if you can stop, you know, if we could even get one listener today to uh, get reusable produce bags. Um, if you average 10 per shopping trip and even let's say you don't even maybe you go one of those trips and even forget your bags. You can still save three to four hundred bags a year. A year. 
that's enormous to keep that many plastic bags out of a landfill. And think about, you know, how many people you see when you go to the grocery store that are in the produce aisle. And if each one of those people are using three to 10 plastic bags that are literally just getting their grapes home, like how much waste that is producing. I mean, that is such a simple thing that has such a huge impact. Oh, totally. Well, and the and I guess the other piece of this is like the the landfill is is one end of it. Um, but I think I think more and more of us are waking up, you know, as we're experiencing climate disruption and as we're experiencing weather, you know, patterns that are weird. I mean, I'm sitting here in Minnesota and the grass is green and we've had I think a total of one overnight where it's frozen. That usually starts in late September. Um, and so it's really hard to to pretend that that isn't happening. And, and so um, to think about the fact that when we buy things, we, you know, supply chain systems are so sophisticated right now that we actually trigger production for new items. And to realize that by choosing not to buy something new um, or choosing not to use something new that's free, like, um, you know, more of those plastic bags, by leaving them on the on the roll and letting somebody else be responsible for, for creating that waste and, and reducing the amount of, you know, or the frequency with which the store needs to purchase those, you're actually directly, you know, having an impact on how much carbon dioxide gets into the atmosphere because companies are being incentivized, you know, aren't being incentivized to make more, make more, make more, right? Cause those plastic bags are being made somewhere via an industrial process. So it's not just the the waste stream and it's not just the landfill, it's upstream as well. And and so just kind of like picturing ourselves in the middle of that is is maybe a, a good way to start wrapping our heads around ways in which we can have a yeah, have supply a and demand. Yep. Reducing so. that that demand for it. And I was watching a uh, documentary last night that was talking about how our behavior our hyper-consumeristic and hyper-materialistic behavior is basically like cancer. So what cancer does is it kills the host slowly. And that is essentially what we are. Our human race is cancer and we are slowly killing our planet. Yep, exactly. Well, so not to I, take it down a notch, but... <laughs> well, well, and I think, but and I think that there's actually also, I had read somewhere, and I think that there's value note in this too, is that ultimately, I mean, we're really not doing any favors to the planet. But at the end of the day, the planet's still going to be here. It's it's our it's us and our humanity and and other living creatures on this planet that are at risk. And I think if I think that and that's even more sobering, right? But um, but the planet is is able to nurture us when we are operating in equilibrium with the resources available. Yeah, but extending so far out that. of whack. It's so far out of whack. And so, and that's where, you know, and it's out of whack because so many of us have become accustomed to certain ways of behaving. And so if we choose to set examples by consuming less and by talking about it, like you're doing Amanda, like I'm doing, and, and by, by not shaming people, by not blaming people, but by creating opportunities for us to realize that this is in, in our individual best interests, it's in our kids' best interests, it's in our community's best interests, there's a really strong motivation to to take it a little more seriously and to think about it as we engage. Totally agree. Empower. Yep. Yeah. Empower through knowledge. Well, Julie, I knew that this was going to go by totally yep. fast. Um, but thank you for helping getting the party started. Um, 
So if people want to find out more about you, tell us about your website. You mentioned your store. So if somebody happens to be going to Minneapolis, we certainly want to encourage them to go there. How can they find you? Yeah, thank you. So my website is shopjunket.com. It's S-H-O-P, as in shopping, junket, J-U-N-K-E-T.com. Um, and and we're out on, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Um, we do have some products on our website available for sale, and those are um, they are ninety eight to one hundred percent reuse, but they are they are handmade and improved items. Some people call it upcycled. Um, and so we've got a little bit of that stuff out there too, but um, we talk about our impact. We talk about you know having kept this this last year so far, we've kept more than five tons of stuff out of the waste stream at our shop and we're measuring that sort of stuff. So if you'd like to learn more, shopjunket.com has some of that content. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Julie. Oh, Amanda, thank you for the opportunity. It's been really fun. So there you have it. My big talk on sustainability. Now, listen, I know that it can be quite intimidating. It can seem like a big task that you're not even sure where to start. And listen, I get that. I was once there too. And I hope that you are empowered by listening to this podcast today with Julie and I and feel inspired and motivated to do just one thing because we cannot keep doing what we're doing as a society because we are killing our planet. I know, sounds scary, but guess what? It is. One thing that I loved about talking with Julie prior to the show is that she said, to see beauty is the beginning of a moral sensibility. I'd like to take that a step further and say, to understand and appreciate what true beauty is relinquishes us from perfection and establishes a real relationship with Mother Nature. I hope you've enjoyed this show today. I'm your host, Amanda, and if you've got questions or comments, be sure to email me. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at info at gatesinteriordesign.com or you can find me online at gatesinteriordesign.com. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you do, be sure to leave us a review or subscribe. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye for now.